Oh, hey, I'm so glad that you found us. My name's Michael, and I get to be the pastor at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. You're listening to the It's Better When You're Here podcast, where every week we upload the messages that are preached at our church every Sunday. We hope by listening to this, uh, you feel safe, heard, and loved by the God that created you. We hope this message makes an impact in your life. If listening to this makes a difference, reach out to us and connect with us either on social media or on our website, shepherdsumc.com. All right, here's the message. So we get to continue this series uh, called Go and Do, where we're going to take our faith and do something about it. Um, too, too often, there's too many Christians in this world that have a faith that they just kind of put behind glass, that it's an identity for them, but they never put it into practice. It's in their Instagram bio, but they don't show it in the world around them. They don't really do anything about the faith that has been given to them so freely. And this series is trying to agitate us towards doing something about it. And this week, we're going to talk about evangelism, which is another churchy word that, again, if you don't know the definition of it, it's okay. We're going to figure it out together. But evangelism is basically telling people about Jesus and inviting them along. For me, growing up in a denomination, in a church, evangelism meant that you got in a van with your youth pastor, and they dropped you off at a local park, and they said, we'll see you in three hours, go tell people about Jesus. And you'd walk up to strangers, and you'd tell them why they were going to go to hell unless they changed the way they lived, not knowing a thing about them, being 14 yourself, you know, a very reliable narrator, right, friends? And so evangelism, if you're anything like me, has a sort of cringy kind of value to it. It makes me feel small. It makes me feel apprehensive. It makes it difficult for me to really move forward. But today, I think that we need to learn about what evangelism can be. Because friends, we're not getting out of it. Uh, Evangelism is something that we're called to. If we're going to look like Jesus, then we're going to need to act like Jesus. If we're going to say that we're like Jesus, we need to practice evangelism. We need to look like what Jesus called us to, and we don't get out of that. And when we share our faith, we shine a spotlight on Jesus and get to invite others along the journey. When we share our faith, we shine a spotlight on Jesus and get to invite others along the journey. So why is sharing our faith so hard? Well, I think there's a couple reasons. One of them is sharing about ourselves is difficult. As someone who's spent his whole career teaching other people, I have about 10 or 12 different get-to-know-you games in my back pocket. A, uh, you know, tell me your favorite color is a good one. Your favorite candy bar is a must. Tell me about the biggest mountain you've ever seen. You know, silly things like that that extroverts love and introverts hate. I, as an extrovert, I am constantly looking for an opportunity to tell you a little bit more about myself, maybe because I'm also a bit of a narcissist, just a little bit. And introverts are looking for an exit when you start talking about those things, right? And my introverts, can you whisper amen? There's an opportunity to avoid, you know, sharing those things because sharing things about yourself is difficult because who you are is, is precious, It's hard to share that with just anyone. And evangelism, let's be honest, it has a bad rap. When I was at a student at USF, there was a guy who would stand outside one of the main halls with a loudspeaker 
and insult people as they went by, call them mean, horrible names, and then tell them about Jesus. He would see someone walking by, make a judgment on their clothing or how they looked, and say things that were just shocking and jarring, and he called it evangelism. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a place where if you did that, you might get corrected, right? I don't want to do that because I like my teeth. I also don't want to do that because, friends, I'm a Christian. I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm a Christian, and I don't see any value or meaning in shouting mean things to people. And when we think this is evangelism, of course we don't want anything to do with it. And I think also beyond that, it, it's hard to feel like we have what it takes. How am I going to tell you how to change your life when I know that I struggle as well? How am I going to speak with authority when I know that I have a hard time being a son, being a brother, being a spouse, being a parent? How can I feel like I have what it takes when I feel sometimes like I'm barely carrying on? When we share our faith, we shine a spotlight on Jesus and get to invite others along the journey. So moving on to our passage in Matthew chapter 5, I just want to say if you're looking for a way to learn about Jesus, if you're, you know, you're not a believer in Jesus at all and you're trying to look for just the basics on what Jesus stood for and what it meant, Matthew chapter 5 would be the best chapter for you to read. It's long, but it's kind of like the greatest hits album, right? If you're looking for a way to understand the Beatles, uh, you'll listen to the, well, you'll listen to the White Album, but you could also listen to the greatest hits. If you're trying to understand a band, you'd listen to the greatest hits. If you needed to understand Jesus, you'd read Matthew chapter 5. But Jesus is going on here. He's saying things about people that follow him. He's saying that you are the salt of the earth. This is a common expression in our day and age. Salt of the earth means that you're normal, that you're, you know, a good guy to have around, a good person to have around. Salt of the earth during the time of Jesus, salt was used as a preservative. It was an expensive preservative, but it was often the only way that food could be preserved for longer than, you know, just its normal shelf life. And so salt and light were used in a medical sense. You would use light to heal things, heal wounds. You would get them out of the dark. You would get them plenty of air and circulation, and you would get salt on those things in order to heal them. So when Jesus is calling us the salt and the light of the earth, we are not just talking about a seasoning that we put on our rice. We're not just talking about the opposite of darkness. Instead, we're talking about the health of our neighborhood. We must be the health of our neighborhoods. If, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to follow what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter Five, we ourselves must be a force for health in our neighborhoods. If we find out that people in our neighborhoods are having a hard time relating to one another, if there's conflict, if there's marital strife, if there's uh, people struggling with parenting, if there's any of those ills in our neighborhood, if we're going to be like Jesus, that has to be our business. It has to be what we are about. As followers of Jesus, we must see the hurts and hangups of, of our neighborhood and not judge or fear. 
Evangelism must always have a heart of empathetic curiosity. What does it mean to have empathetic curiosity? Well, I think it's so easy for us as human beings to make judgments, isn't it? We see someone, we see someone we don't know, and we assume we know their whole story. We take them in for just a brief second, and we can understand if they're dangerous or if they're not, if they're friendly or if they're not, if they're good or if they're bad. And that we can't help that in a lot of ways. It's a, that's a primate thing. It, it, it helped us get to where we are right now. The ones that could recognize a poisonous berry from a mile away lasted a little bit longer. They were like, sweet, berries, awesome. And, and so we as human beings, we still hold on to that. We make quick judgment calls on the people that we see. And as followers of Jesus, we have to work day and night against that. Because instead of judgment, we have to have curiosity mixed with empathy. When you interact with someone who seems like they're not the kind of person you want to be around, ask yourself the question, how did this happen? Where did they come from? What led to this? What changed in their story that brought them to the place where they're no longer an even part of society? Ask those questions with empathetic curiosity. Evangelism, for too long, especially like the street preacher does, it had no time for curiosity. Instead, he only had time for judgment. But when we share our faith, we shine a spotlight on Jesus and get to invite others along the journey. I really want to focus on this. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. That really makes me uncomfortable. I don't like being called the light of the world. I don't like being called the light of anything. I don't like being the source of reflection of hope and light in the world. And yet, when I read the Bible, tough luck. That's who I am. That's who you are. As followers of Jesus, we are the light of the world. Let me put it another way. Have you ever found yourself in a difficult situation and you start looking around for an adult and then you realize it's you? Like, have you ever had that feeling of like, is there an adultier adult? Like, is there a growner, upper grown-up around me? I, and I know that I might be talking to people that are a little bit older than me. I think you've also felt this. I have a feeling I'll hold on to this feeling well into my 70s if I see that many. You know, looking around and being like, every tax season, it's like, where's the adult? Or if I need to renew my license, what do I do? Oftentimes the adult is Google, um, and sometimes she's wrong. But we're the light of the world. Not only are we looking for an adult, I mean, we're looking for a light. Why is the world like this? I mean, Jesus would say, I don't know, bud, you tell me. Why is the world like this? Why are there people struggling with hopelessness? Why are there lonely people in our neighborhood? I don't know. You tell me. The world around us might be on fire, but friends, I've got news. We're the firefighters. We're the ones that are called to put it out. We're the ones that are called to not only put it out, but to see the fire around us and to put it out. I think ultimately the question we have to ask ourselves when we talk about evangelism is, do you really believe that the gospel will change the world? Do you, I mean, do you really believe that? I think I do most days. Most days I wake up and I'm like, yeah, you know, Jesus is going to change the world and it's because of the church and it's because of the gospel. And, you know, guys, some days I wake up and I read the news and I'm not sure. And I need you guys to believe on those days when I don't. 
I wake up and I see the depravity of the world around us. I see the pain. I see the hurt. I hear friends suffering. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Is this even doing it? Then I see glimpses and stories of people that remind me of God's love. It might be hard for me to see, but what is that? They're the light of the world. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you realize that the light on maybe your, your fire alarm is a lot brighter than you thought it was? A light that you don't notice very often, but when it's very, very, very dark, even the faintest glimpse of light can show your path. And friends, like the light of the moon, we must reflect the sun. We don't create the light. I learned this through a Dr. Seuss All About the Planets book for my daughter. The moon doesn't actually shine. It's just a mirror. When we see moonlight, it's just reflecting the sun's light onto us. I know I just taught someone that for the first time. I know I did. We ourselves, we don't don't create the light. We reflect the light into the world. And when we are the light, you know what happens? They praise our Father in heaven. I think Christians too often are too focused on being really shiny. We live a faith that's very performative. We pray so other people can see us. We read scripture and tell people about it. We serve and make sure everyone knows. We act in a way that makes sure everyone knows that we're really holy. That's not what God has called us to. We are not the light. We reflect the light. And when we share our faith, we shine a spotlight on Jesus and get to invite others along the way. And why is it so hard to practice evangelism, tell other people about Jesus? Well, because Christians do it wrong in about two ways. There are multiple ways, but we'll lump them together. Two ways that Christians do it really, really, really poorly. Our idea of a good time as a family for vacation is going on road trips. And so we drove to Boston and back in eight days, seven days. It was a short amount of time. In fact, when we got back to uh, Lakeland, a few of my friends were like, wait, you're back? You were in Annapolis like yesterday. And I was like, no, yeah, 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 that's how that works. But all along the road, and I saw these signs that we'll see on the screen now. A lot of signs that said, repent. It's not just repent, it's repent with some oomph. And nothing else on there. Just the word repent. From what? When? How? What do I do? Why? I don't know. Should I turn my car around? Because that's what the actual Greek word means, to turn around and change course. But these words, these billboards just say repent, and and they don't provide any explanation. It's an opportunity for someone that had eight grand, which is how much these things cost, to spend it in a way that made them feel righteous. That's all it was. Because no one sees this and thinks, you know what, this is what I needed. I knew that I was struggling with long-holding sin, and I needed someone to make me feel just a little bit more guilty. That's all this is supposed to be, to make someone feel guilty. And then there are other ones. I didn't get them, but there's ones I've seen in, like, South Carolina where there's zombies and Jesus and not a whole lot of explanation. I was like, is that the next season of The Walking Dead? Like, is that what they're, is that what they're trying to do? They're really getting desperate for a plot point. And, and you see these billboards and you wonder what was going on. And I know what was going on. It's fear. 
It's a desire to act on that fear. So that's one example, right? The repent sign, the, the, the just blanket, um, uh, unfeeling, uncurious kind of way of doing evangelism. And then there's another way that I think is just as damaging. And that is doing nothing. Never once talking about your faith. Never once sharing about Jesus and how Jesus has changed your life. Never telling someone else that your faith has made a difference in your life. It's easy for me to laugh about these billboards, to poke fun, to say, oh, I would never. It becomes more difficult when I ask myself, when was the last time I blamed any good thing that I have on the work that Jesus has done in my life? When was the last time I told a friend, I don't know, how to do this well, but I know some people who do, and I know a God who loves you. When was the last time that I did that and shared freely? When was the last time that you shared your faith? I have a much easier question for you. When was the last time you recommended something? You better hope I don't find a restaurant that I think you should go to. I'm going to tell you all about it. I'll tell you all about the joinery. I'll tell you about how I had to stop going to the joinery because I had so many texts from Super Duper Spot. I could tell that I had a problem, right? I know the people that work there. I feel like Norm when I walk into the joinery. I love that place. I'll tell you that Good Time, and I've told you this before, I know, Good Time has the best biscuits in Lakeland. You should go there and get a biscuit. It's amazing. I'll tell you, Concord Coffee who provided our coffee this morning, is the best coffee place you can go. I'll tell you those things. Because it's easy to tell a friend something that's good. I'll tell you about a band that I love. I'll tell you about a restaurant that I love, a coffee shop that I love. I'll tell you about something that might make your day a little bit better. Friends, what if we looked at Jesus in the same way? What if we could recommend a life after the teachings of Jesus Christ like we would great biscuits. Not with the kind of condemnation that is so readily apparent in the American church today, but instead as an open invitation. If we're ever going to reclaim evangelism, we must first be convinced that Jesus is up to something. We have to be convinced that Jesus is at work in our own lives, let alone the lives around us. A few months ago, we had a potluck here at the church. And as I want to do, whenever I've got some nervous energy and it's not too hot out before an event here at church, I'll go to the garden and pull weeds. If you can't do anything, do something. And that's why I pull weeds when I'm a little anxious or whatever. And while I was out there, I saw a young family and a very big dog running around the property. And the mom was like, I'm sorry, my dog's here. He's crazy. I'm like, it's fine. I don't care. We have 10 acres. Use them all. And we saw the garden, and the garden was, was blooming, and uh, this family was tending to it and trying their best, and there were some sticks in the dirt, and, but there were also some things that were growing, and it just looked lovely and wonderful. And I started to feel this feeling. I should invite someone to be a part of what God is doing. Because when I was in the potluck, I saw people connecting in a meaningful way, and sharing in a beautiful way, and I thought, this is rare. People connected in a, in a powerful way, in a meaningful way, 
in something other than just work or whatever, and it convicted me. I said, hey, we're having a, we're having a potluck. Do you, you want to come in and grab a plate? And as soon as the words left my mouth, I was like, oh, no, I'm that teenager on a Baptist mission trip again. I'm going to the park. I'm telling people to change their life. Oh, no. Now, hear what I said. We're having a potluck. Do you want a plate? My answer is always yes to that. If you invite me to a potluck and you offer me a plate, I will say yes, because potlucks are amazing. Amen? And so what I heard to myself was, I'm trying to convince someone to go to church. But what I actually said was, there's a place at the table for you. And so I invited Jessica Zivkovich in with her kids, and we didn't let her get a plate, I don't think. I think we got a plate for her, and we loaded it up way too much. We did not have the good plates that night, and I saw the bend. I also saw the two kids, you know. I, saw, I, I, know, I, know, the, I know the pain, and I asked a friend of mine, I asked Susan, would you, would you take her plate to the car? Quick, yes, absolutely, for sure. And as I saw that conversation happen, I saw the light of the world. I saw the salt of the earth. I saw a city on the hill shining for everyone to see. How uncommon is it for a radical welcome? How uncommon is it to have an open table? How uncommon is it to welcome in a way that changes lives? I don't know. I think our neighborhood would be really different if we had a little bit more of those stories. We had a moment of believing Jesus was up to something and look what it did. Look what changed. Look what beauty will come from all of that, all of that one moment of carrying a plate heavy laden with Methodist casseroles to a car can do. It showed someone that they weren't just a member of a community garden, but rather a member of a family that they belonged. I'll always leave you with a challenge, but friends, if you can't find a challenge in that story, I don't know what to do for you. I hope you listen to that story. I hope you listen to this passage. I hope you listen to all the ways that I messed up this sermon and forgot to have the scripture. And I hope this Holy Spirit speaks to you in a way that's so much louder than any billboard that's vague and condemning could ever do. But you know that there is someone waiting for your invitation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, friends. I hope you heard something in today's message that made an impact in your life. Helped you know that you're loved by God, and inspired you to do something about the gospel that is offered to you. Now receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.